0: Go
1: ahead. Hi. During your speech, you made a lot of references to Jewish people, as well as certain people in your audience, not Jewish people in general, but certain people, especially in your audience, to Nazis. Now,
0: that is extremely offensive when certain people are German, and they're also extremely offensive to people who have actually suffered under Nazi rule. I don't respect that anymore. I really don't. I don't like and I don't respect the Crocodile Tears to, con- to the Crocodile Tears No! Uh, I'm to, uh, folks, uh, allow me to finish and allow me to te- allow me to finish Listen, sir, allow me to here. allow me to finish Uh, sir, sir, I don't like to play I don't like to play before an audience the Holocaust card. But since now I feel com- now I feel compelled to. My late father was an Auschwitz. My late mother, please shut up. My late father was an Auschwitz. My late mother was in my Donna concentration camp. Every single member of my family on my father's side, on my father's side, the Jews did not take arms against the Jews. My late father was in Auschwitz concentration camp. My late mother was in Maidani concentration camp. Every single member of my family on both sides was exterminated. Both of my parents were in the Warsaw Ghetto Uprising. And it is precisely and exactly because of the lessons my parents taught me and my two siblings that I will not be silent when Israel commits its crimes against the Palestinians. And I consider nothing more despicable than to use their suffering and their martyrdom to try to justify the torture the brutalization, the demo- demolition of homes that Israel daily commits against the Palestinians. So I refuse any longer to be intimidated or browbeating by the tears. If you had any heart in you, you would be crying for the Palestinians, not for what she's What? I the audience. Hmm. I've
2: never been in a crowd like this. Yeah. They're nice. the <laughs> Welcome to the Minion! Your Talmudic tankies. And you just heard Norm Finkelstein completely obliterating Goyam. I guess she was German, she wasn't actually Jewish crying and getting upset that what he was saying was offensive to Germans and he just didn't take it he did not take it uh that's from the movie American Radical which is about the topic of today Armin Finkelstein specifically his book The Holocaust Industry which I will walk through and I guess I can introduce myself I'm Talia Woo! We made it through a year of COVID! Whoop, whoop!
3: (laughs) Oh, God. I'm Prez. Welcome back, everyone.
1: (laughs) And I'm Zev.
2: Yeah, so sorry about the delay in episodes. It's been a little hectic these past two months with the end of school and Thanksgiving and these humongous spikes in COVID. Supposedly, there is a vaccine out, but mainly politicians are getting it right now.
3: Politicians are getting a vaccine. We're getting six hundred bucks. Yeah,
2: okay, so. six hundred bucks.
3: It's all working out.
2: <laughs> Israel's getting five hundred million dollars to fix the Iron Dome or fucking whatever.
1: We have legislation to reincarnate the Dalai Lama.
2: Oh yeah, everything's <laughs> great. And we're finally getting this episode done. The Holocaust industry done. Okay. So I'm going to talk a little bit about Norm. Then I'm going to walk you through the book. I highly recommend just buying the book and reading it. Or It's probably not at your local library because it's a bit spicy. But do you have any questions or comments before we go in, Prez or Zev?
3: I just have a quick request for all the academics to stop using the phrase X industry because there's like a million different books and pieces of research that have their own little like niche area of study that just is like the culture industry, the Holocaust industry, and it's just getting tiring now. Please just change the title.
1: Academics are ruining the industry, industry.
2: (laughs) (laughs) To be fair, he did write this in 2000. This was published like 20 years ago. This is true. So he was probably starting the trend of using industry. Let's just say that.
3: (laughs) Pretty sure that was Adorno.
2: (laughs) You would know better than I because I have not read Adorno at all.
3: You're better off.
2: Okay. (laughs) Alrighty. So who is Norm? And I'm going to refer to him as Norm just because I really love this man. I know Yaakov loves him. A lot of anti-Zionist Jews love him just because he's been on the forefront of being openly anti-Zionist, calling out bullshit when he sees it and really not holding back. And I'll get more into that. So who is Norm? He was born in 1953 to two Holocaust survivors. And they were also Warsaw Ghetto Uprising fighters, as you heard in the clip previously. And he says he was really instilled with this fiery passion for justice by his mother. I guess his mom always talked about the camps and like was thinking about it all the time and like trying to come up with, why did this happen? Why did that happen? And so he was just surrounded by it for his whole life growing up. He's always been fighting against injustices. It started with the Vietnam War. And then his first introduction to anti-Zionism was when Israel invaded Lebanon in 1982. And he had like a, a sign. He went to his first protest with a sign that was calling... <laughs> Israelis Nazis, which is still pretty uh, taboo, I think. I don't know about how you two feel about Israelis being called that, or. <laughs>
1: I mean, it's nothing if not provocative, I guess.
2: Especially at that time. Yeah. So he was working on his PhD at Princeton, I believe, and he decided that his dissertation would take apart. A book by Joan Peters called From Time Immor- Memorial, which is really Zionist and claims that Palestinians did not get to Palestine until the early 19th century, which is historically false. And he sent his dissertation out to a whole bunch of people. And the only person that was interested in it was Noam Chomsky. and. You can say whatever you want about Noam Chomsky, but um, he's pretty much he's stuck by norm.
3: <laughs> that is like the most academic academia thing ever, where you like <laughs> want to do your dissertation in the most pissy way ever by saying like this established scholar is wrong, and I'm going to get my PhD by proving every single way they're wrong. And be a better (laughs) academic before I even have my PhD. (laughs) And then finding out that academics don't like that, so no one actually supports you. (laughs) And then you have to, like, search the entire country for that one asshole who actually is like, you know what? Okay, I'll work with you.
2: So after he did his dissertation, Norm started to visit Palestine and writing about his experiences there with his first book, I believe, coming out in 1996. And then he wrote Holocaust Industry in 2000. Now, I want to just segue a little bit. How can we talk about Norm and not talk about Alan Dershowitz? <laughs> um So I believe, oh, was it 2006? Alan Dershowitz (laughs) came out with a book called The Case for Israel. And Norm went through his book for an episode of Democracy Now! And he said he bought two copies and went through all the footnotes line by line to prove that Dershowitz was wrong and was plagiarizing. His claim was he was plagiarizing Joan Peters' book from Time Memorial, and I highly recommend going on YouTube and looking up this debate between Norm and Alan Dershowitz because Norm just cleans the floor with him, <laughs> like it's just incredible. Two academics who absolutely hate each other, and just tearing each other apart. It's it's really phenomenal. So after this. If you know Alan Dershowitz, he does not let things go. He also represents pedophiles like Jeffrey Epstein. He was on the flight, <laughs> allegedly.
3: Please don't Allegedly,
2: get us he allegedly, a blast allegedly, he was on the flight logs. <laughs> I'm just saying that, which Norm had a field day with on Twitter, <laughs> because uh, I I believe it was 2008. I might be wrong with the dates. Okay, that was 2008 that um, Norm came out with a book called Beyond Chutzpah. And at the end of it, he just has like a chapter dedicated to how Alan Tershowitz <laughs> plagiarized his in his book. It had nothing to do with the rest of the book that he was writing. He just had a chapter dedicated to that, to Alan Tershowitz. <laughs> so that book comes out. Norm is up for tenure at DePaul University. Two thousand nine, and Alan Dershowitz does everything in his power to deny him tenure at DePaul. Allegedly, he does everything like, <laughs> and DePaul denies, even though that all of his co, like his colleagues and whatever, support and say he need, like Norm needs to be tenured. A uh, president, I think, vice president of DePaul say no, we're not going to give you.
3: Yeah, the department says you get tenure, and then the school usually just rubber stamps it. And then this time, the the president just d- rejected it, saying okay, okay. that Norm does not uphold the values of the university. And then they reached some kind of settlement that so, is, to this day, undisclosed.
2: Now Norm is like, he's been looking for teaching jobs forever, I think. And he does a lot of speaking tours and stuff, but... It just sucks because he's, like, I think he's 67 and he, like, still doesn't have, like, a permanent job because of this fucking Alan Dershowitz.
1: (laughs) Allegedly.
2: (laughs) Allegedly. Allegedly. Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) So that's just a little overview of Norm and the trials that he's been through for speaking his mind. and. Maybe should have let go of the Alan Dershowitz stuff. Maybe not dedicate a <laughs> chapter to him, but whatever. <laughs> we can be petty sometimes. <laughs> um, but now I'm going to get into the book Holocaust Industry. Um, have any of you read it before?
3: I did a very, very long
1: time ago. I have not read it.
2: So Norm said he wanted to write this book to quote, uh, restore the integrity of the historical record and the sanctity of the Jewish people's martyrdom, uh, end quote. And he also believes that the United States is the corporate headquarters of the Holocaust industry. He believes the industry's central dogmas are sustaining significant political and class interests. So that's basically upholding the elites and basically shitting on the working class Jews. So that would be like the Holocaust survivor, like the actual Holocaust survivors. So it finds it funny that the country that has a humongous military force, horrendous human rights record has cast itself as a victim. And that would be Israel.
3: So, Israel has cast itself as a victim state that hasn't really begun until after the 1967 war, predominantly with uh, white European Jews as the main victim, ignoring all the other kinds of Jews, like Ethiopian Jews, Sephardic Jews, with the primary crux of the victimhood based around the Holocaust and of most other forms of victimhood coming out of the Israeli struggle, like fighting Palestinians and the the receiving violence from Palestine or receiving violence from the rest of the Middle East is based on trying to set up a foundational state of freedom and safety after kind of fleeing the violence of Europe and the Holocaust there.
2: Yeah, yeah, definitely. And Norm says that um, with the suffering of African-Americans, the Vietnamese, the Palestinians. His mom always said that we are all Holocaust victims. Which, you know, like if you think about the Congo and uh, King Leopold, there were ten million Africans Congol- Congolese that were murdered. And that's not talked about, and I'll, I'll talk about that a little later too. He talks about it later in the book. But uh, so he starts the main part of the book off with saying that. No one was really listening to Holocaust survivors when they when they arrived in America. Just like most people just didn't care or didn't want to listen. They thought that talking about the past really served no purpose and uh, it just complicated things. And also that remembrance of the Holocaust. This is all before uh, the 1967 war, as Prez mentioned was seen as a communist cause. Uh the Holocaust was only talked about as like an like now it's uh anti-fascist. I think this was before the Soviet Union was erased from the memories of most Americans, knowing that the Soviets had liberated, liberated American? most of the concentration camps. So what's really fucked up is that before 67, uh the American Jewish Congress and Anti Defamation League worked on the McCarthy McCarthy witch hunts and gave them files on other Jewish com on Jewish communists, like try to get them blacklisted. And so I think it shows that the ADL has always worked actively against working class Jews. And I'll talk about that a little later when we talk about. What does the Holocaust industry look like now, 20 years after this book has been written? And a lot of Jewish elites enlisted into fascist organizations like the All-American Conference to Combat Communism and just ignored all the former SS that entered into the U.S. through like, uh, what, Operation Paperclip? But then 1967 happened, and it was after this conflict that not only did Israel, quote-unquote, prove itself as a nation, but it also brought up...
3: Do you want me to do the Six-Day War real
2: quick? Yes. Okay,
3: so the 1967 war is pretty significant in a lot of Holocaust literature, and especially for the Holocaust industry book, because after 1967, Israel definitively takes the kind of primary funding partner of the US in the middle. East. Before 67, Israel was relatively decent at playing both sides of the funding game, at trying to get money from the Soviet Union, and then trying to say like, hey, we're Leaning towards the Soviet Union and getting funding, so the West should give us way more money and kind of working for that. But then in the uh, 1967 war, if you're listening in the US, we typically heard it be called the Six Day War. Or if you're probably anywhere else, it's called the uh, Arab Israeli War. Israel kind of just freely went after Jordan, Syria, and Egypt, and they took uh, Sinai. And that is when Israel kind of took a more aggressive stance against its neighbors, which is when the US kind of decided that they would use Israel as a proxy for uh, maintaining and growing its influence in the region. So after that, we have a uh, military and cultural pivot by the US and its Western partners to kind of grow the significance of Israel. And why we need to support Israel. so that changed a lot of things for why we should actually care about Israel, because before that no one really kind of really cared. Um, so that is the basis for the Holocaust industry, a country that was set up after, after the Holocaust, but uh, there was the uh, the whole Zionist movement in the late 1800s that eventually paved the way for Israel to be set up. and there's a whole argument that Israel was would probably have been set up anyway but uh after the 67 war the us based on norms argument started to uh expand the kind of victimhood argument that uh israel deserves to exist and there's some kind of moral moral uh requirement to defend israel and and the white european jews who uh quote unquote fled to the region after after the war, despite the uh, preceding Zionist movement to reclaim Palestine in the region,
2: thank you for that uh, overview. Um, and I think it's also important to note that with the Balfour Declaration in 1917, that basically gave the land of Palestine to Jews. Balfour was a British politician that was a huge anti-Semite, and he's like, "Yeah, I don't want the Jews in Britain. Send them over there." So really the basis of land being given to Jews is I don't want them in my country. And even during the Holocaust, like most countries just sent Jews back who were escaping from Germany. And I, yeah, uh, I think that's just important to note as well. But thank you for that overview, Prez. So after 1967, that's when a lot of Jewish institutions started to, quote-unquote, remember the Holocaust and then started to push this idea that another Holocaust could happen at any moment, Uh, really used a fear-based type of education. Uh, You started seeing it in temples, shuls, and uh, schools. School, like education and like public schools about the Holocaust, uh, really pushing forward this narrative of this is why we need Israel, because what if another Holocaust happens? So after 67, as Prez mentioned, Israel became a strategic asset in the Middle East. And then that's when the US has, had started giving millions billions of dollars to israel to increase their military uh strength like we said at the beginning of the episode we just gave them 500 million dollars in our covid relief bill which hope i don't know if it's passed or not but we need more than 600 fucking bucks after nine months of no work so norm brings up paul novick so paul novick Writes a book that's very critical on this enormous memorialization of the Holocaust. And he says that the 1967 war portrayed Jews as military heroes and that worked to combat the stereotype of weak and passive Jews from the Holocaust. And I think that's also really exemplified in Ellie Valley's work, like Diaspora Boy, which Highly recommend everyone check out Ali Valley. Check out his book. I was thinking it'd be really cool if Ali Valley would do like a little graphic novel with Norm about the <laughs> Holocaust industry or something. I have it in my mind that I want these two awesome anti Zionist Jews to like collaborate on something. I think it'd be great.
3: Come on our show, maybe. For those. <laughs>
2: I did email Norm. I didn't like directly ask him on, but he did email me back and good luck with the podcast. And he was really grateful for the nice things I said to him. So basically, said he was vindicated uh, and <laughs> everything he said. <laughs> but yeah, I think it'd be great if Alley Valley and Norm could do like a little collab. But I do find it very this uh whole idea of this like we even see it with hanukkah with like a increase in like showing off the maccabees during the hanukkah celebration because they're like oh tough and ready to fight or whatever when really that wasn't the central story to like whatever hanukkah's not even that important to begin with but you know what i'm talking about right yeah (laughs) Oh, I just feel like I'm babbling.
3: (laughs) And then you have this kind of really dark and depressing memorialization of the Holocaust as this like unstoppable, gruesome force that should be memorialized and understood as of how horrible it was without really contextualizing the brutality and why it really came up. Yeah. So in a lot of these museums, and I know for sure, like when I was learning about all of this stuff in like school, and like they made me read the Anne Frank uh, book and all of this stuff, they absolutely did not go into like, how Hitler rose to power, what the like, what Weimar Germany was like, preceding that why they could possibly elect this, how Hitler didn't just like, show up with the military and institute a dictatorship and the, the kind of softly rolling into a horribly genocidal regime. It's just kind of like an instant occur. Like starting on day one, we have the uh, first night of the Holocaust and it just kind of begins from there. And now we have to remember it as it was. Yeah. And that's kind of the, the memorialization of it as it as it is and it's kind of just frozen in time now
1: Mm. yeah very much it very much mystifies hitler and the holocaust itself because then like i i I remember like learning about the holocaust in school it was all like well why did hitler hate Jews so much that he would do that and it's like that's not the questions we should be asking about it though
3: i was going to say it's it's touched upon a little later in the book but uh we kind of see this happen with other genocides, and we see this happen with the kind of description of who else was in the Holocaust itself, and the kind of creation of the Holocaust uh, as like a a big big H Holocaust, as this is the only Holocaust to have happened. It was only only the Jews in the Holocaust. This was really the only type of genocide to happen, and it's only really targeting white european jews because they're kind of the focus of an individual hatred that is the culmination of history and now that we have israel for european jews to go to anti-semitism is kind of over in europe for the same reason that people like to say that if you're jewish you can get a get citizenship in uh, israel and be okay
2: which is just- not even true because many of us can't get a citizenship in Jew- in Israel because we're not considered real Jews. They get to pick and decide who's a real Jew and who isn't,
1: mm-hmm.
2: which is completely fucked up. Israel is fucked up. <laughs> so whatever. <laughs> I also want to like talk about like this portrayal of the Holocaust and. Jews being passive it like and the education behind it. Just completely erases the resistance that happened. Not hashtag the resistance, but like the Jewish resistance, the partisan resistance that happened during like it completely takes away you don't even learn about the Warsaw Ghetto uprising in School, you You don't learn about any of that stuff. And I think that's a way to prop up this idea that this is why we need Israel. Also, probably because the people that were resisting and organizing the resistance were communists. And America doesn't want to be funding education about communist resistance against fascism. And I think this is why also... Norm gets really pissed off about it because his parents were in the Warsaw Ghetto Uprising. And it's just, it makes me really sad about how Zionism has completely erased this side of Jewishness. Our history of being fighters, being communists, resisting everything that we can, like, but I could go on about that, but I won't. (laughs) Um... I just I, I I do want to work on an episode about the Warsaw Ghetto Uprising from a communist perspective. So that's on the list of episode ideas that we have. So the Holocaust proved to be the perfect weapon for deflecting criticism of Israel. And if you showed concern for holoca- the Holocaust, it was seen as showing concern for Israel. It proved to be a really, really powerful weapon because the Holocaust was fucking horrible. So, as we mentioned before, uh, Israel was a place of refuge for Jews escaping Germany because guess what? The US, when they came here, got sent back to Germany. So, lots of places sent the Jews back. The Holocaust is, quote, a unique historical event. And a climax of Gentile hatred of the Jews, at least that's how it's portrayed. Uh, Norm argues that it is not a unique historical event, and completely destroys Eli. Is it Weissel? Weisel?
3: I think it's Weisel.
2: Weisel. Okay, uh, and completely I, who destroys. Who cares about
3: Germany?
2: <laughs> Eli Weisel's Weissel, saying that it is unique. Because it just tries, he's just trying to help solidify the existence of Israel. Jewish suffering is not unique compared to other oppressed groups. And you can see that because non Jews were also victims of the Holocaust. But with Eli Weissel, <laughs> fuck <laughs> Eli Weissel, like he Norm tries to say that. Because non-Jews perished in the Holocaust, that they were just a byproduct and Jews were the real chosen target. That's Eli's argument. And Norm's like, not at all. <laughs> like Eli also thinks that the Holocaust represents the anti-Semitism of William and why Jews must have Israel. So in that case, if you're critical of Israel, you're anti-Semitic and that Jews must defend themselves in absolutely every way possible so another Holocaust doesn't happen, which happens to include committing genocide against Palestinians. So, like, Norm really hates Eli Weissel. Like, yeah, he goes on and on and on about him and, like, destroying all of his arguments, which is fantastic uh, because he does see Eli as, like, the figurehead of the Holocaust industry. So. He then, Norm, talks about how all these Holocaust memoirs that have been coming out have turned out to be fake. Like, people are just profiting off of the, the memory of the Holocaust, which feeds into this Holocaust industry idea. He also says that when you question the uniqueness of the Holocaust, you get completely shut down. But yet, when you mention other genocides, people will start to get upset. Like, for example, I don't know if you remember... The ADL, like, forever would not recognize the Armenian genocide. And the ADL also tried to help block a day of remembrance for the Armenian genocide. I think the ADL finally recognized the Armenian genocide last year, last year or two years ago.
3: Wow. Is it really that recently?
2: Yeah. Yeah. Pretty sure it's Uh,
3: the ADL just finds more and more reasons for to suck.
2: (laughs) Well, I got more to talk about ADL because, of course, I do. (laughs) (laughs) Norm also brings this up, and I never thought about it until, like, I reread the book, and he's like, "The U.S. has over a hundred Holocaust museums." He's like, this is weird. It'd be like if Germany had a museum <laughs> dedicated to the U.S. Uh, attempted genocide of Native Americans.
3: I mean, you can commit a genocide against a group of people and still have not killed all of them by the end of it. Because Germany only lasted a couple of years and the Soviets liberated them. Mm-hmm. So they didn't get all of them. Yeah. Similarly... The U.S. and the rest of the settler colonial apparatus managed to genocide ninety percent of the population. I would categorize that as yeah. I would categorize that as genocide.
2: Ninety percent.
3: Yeah.
1: Yeah. I've seen estimates as high as ninety-five.
2: Holy shit!
3: I've there's there's a scholar Gerald Horne. I would read all of his stuff,
2: dude. That dude has like 50,000 books.
3: I know. <laughs> He's great. Um, he but he great. has two books that are the dawning of the the apocalypse" and the, another one that's something of the apocalypse." and they kind of put into academic literature what a lot of scholarship and indigenous people are kind of describe this genocide as an actual apocalypse beyond just a genocide. So, like, it, yeah, it's, it's pretty weird that the US has so many Holocaust museums, but uh, it's important to note that this is all kind of contrasting, like, oh God, this is going to sound so academic sounding, but like the big H Holocaust concept versus just like the lowercase H Holocaust, meaning just like eh, any old Holocaust, meaning mm-hmm. like any old genocide. Which I think he's trying to denote as, like, there's... Holocausts happen all the time, and a Holocaust yeah. is just a genocide. But then mm-hmm. there's the Holocaust, which is yeah. the the genocide that is what we all think of as the Holocaust. And that is only having happened against European Jews. Mm-hmm. And it glazes over the the disabled people, the Roma... And the communists who were all thrown in the uh, work camps and extermination camps. Mm -hmm. And he's right in saying that there's holocausts happening all the time and have happened throughout history. And then that kind of lays into all of the criticisms of this book, which kind of go on the base of like, well, this is the holocaust. Mm hmm. And then everything else is a genocide, which is kind of the crux of his argument that the Holocaust is just another genocide.
2: Yeah. Like, why don't we have museums dedicated to Native Americans? Like, I think it took forever to get the, Indian, like, the National Indian Museum in D.C. I think it took forever. Like, we just got the African American Museum in D.C. Yeah.
3: And all of these are kind of bad there's There's like a Museum of the American Indian in New York City, and they have a whole bunch of like little exhibits on like corn and boats oh. and like outfits that people wore, and then like they'd tell you all of it, and then they'd have like a little sentence every once in a while that'd be like, "Well, no one wears this anymore because they're all gone." Um, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's really not great. No. So, like, it's the most tactless, bad, distasteful memorialization of the genocide. And that's because the entire capital of the settler colonial regime is based on the genocide. The same way the entire... Capital of the uh, settler regime in Israel is based on the memorialization of the Holocaust. Now,
2: on my mind right now,
3: because <laughs> that's that's how Israel is getting all of its money. Because why did we just fund $500 million dollars in the Iron Dome and all of these other defense apparatuses to in the in the most recent COVID COVID bill? And I don't think the Israeli state would have been as much of a uh, modern state or a tech center in the Middle East or as, quote unquote, developed if the U.S. hasn't essentially subsidized all of its development to eradicate Palestinians. Mm -hmm. And that didn't really start happening. And the subsidization didn't really start happening until after 1967, when we started memorializing the Holocaust to justify the funding and training of their military and all of that stuff. And we see the, the denial of genocide and the even if it's not denial, the ignoring of genocide in other places and the ignoring of people within the, the Holocaust, the big H Holocaust, of people who are not a benefit to capital. So the Roma and disabled people that were, and the communists that were involved in the Holocaust in the 1940s, they don't really matter. They're not a uh, growth to, uh, to the economy. That's actually where uh, Hitler and the Germans got the idea of exterminating people Certain groups of people were genetically inferior, thanks to u s eugenicists and that is based on race science to benefit capital growth. but in the modern day, all of these genocides in Myanmar and Africa and not e- th- these aren't genocides, but uh I guess ethnic cleansings that sometimes go on in India and other parts of the globe mm-hmm they're ignored because they typically actually are used to uh, accumulate land and property that was resisting capital growth, or at least is used opportunistically to get that. Yeah. That's a nice long tangent.
1: (laughs) It's it's so fucked up, too, how the memorialization of the Holocaust allows the U.S. to position itself as, like, a savior when... It was the inspiration for the Holocaust.
2: It was. Yeah. It was.
1: And it continues to, to fund Israel now, which is genociding Palestinians.
2: I highly recommend the book, Hitler's American Model, where he got yeah. all of his ideas about concentration camps, genocide, jim crow laws all of it from america i think there was some stuff he's like well that's a that's a little too much for me (laughs) i think that was some of the jim crow laws he was just like yeah
3: i think he even said like we could never even do that in germany
2: jesus christ oh god so i think a really good example I I've been to the DC Holocaust Museum, which Jimmy Carter did fund it in 1980. He signed a bill funding the construction of the Holocaust Museum because apparently he was too soft on Israel or during his term. <laughs> uh so instead he did this. And I don't know if you've been to the DC Holocaust Museum, but it's pretty fucked up. Like they basically completely erase How communists were targeted. They obviously show that Americans liberated the camps with hardly any mention of the Soviets. They do try to claim that Stalin was like Hitler. After all of this, after floors of exhibits, it all leads up to Israel. This is why we need Israel. It's just one big propaganda museum. The same goes for Yad Vashem in Israel. I've, I've, I've been there. I think he talks, I think he, t- Norm talks a little bit about it in the book. Uh, I'll talk about birthright. We went to it on birthright, which I believe birthright is also byproduct of the Holocaust industry because they do take, they do have like a whole Holocaust day. And they use that to say, this is why we need Israel. This is why you need to support Israel, because who knows when another Holocaust will happen. But Yad Vashem is just like that, where it all leads to Israel and why we need Israel. They have like, it's, I don't know, birthright's fucked up too. But we've talked about that on a different episode. But yeah, like, Just think about, like, take, when if you go to a Holocaust museum in your city, because apparently there's a hundred of them, just, like, take note, like, do they talk about communists? Do they talk about the fighters in the Warsaw ghetto uprising and the other uprisings? Do they talk about the Soviets liberating camps? And do they, and I I bet you anything, I bet you a hundred percent that, at the end of each exhibit, it shows this is why we need Israel. So that's my spiel about Holocaust museums. <laughs> they really <laughs> piss me off because they all end the same. Nothing about like the diaspora, nothing about celebrating like the many different types of Jews that are out there. It all just goes back to Israel. So moving on, In the last chapter, he talks about a quote-unquote Holocaust survivor, which used to describe those who survived the ghettos and then the camps, which he said was about 100,000. But now it includes so many, many more, including those who found refuge in the Soviet Union and elsewhere. He thinks that with this, cha- this definition changing, it helps Jewish institutions get more reparations. He said in 2000, Germany has paid more than $60 billion in reparations. And most of this money has gone to the Claims Conference, which is a collection of different Jewish organizations. And they basically have decided, these Jewish institutions uh, have decided that this money should be spent on Jewish communities rather than individual Holocaust survivors, and what they mean by Jewish communities, they mean organization. So like, he mentions the World Conference, I believe. Yeah, World Jewish Congress has received over $7 billion in compensation. And the WJC, along with the US government, for Swiss banks to agree to pay an additional $1.25 billion in reparations instead of this money going to the survivors that have been, who are poor and very needy, according to WJC, it just went to pay the lawyers and the institutions. And Norm also talks about where, where's the American compensation to those that were on the USS St. Louis. That's the, um, That's a ship that had a whole bunch of Jews on it escaping Germany, and once they got to the U.S., they got turned around and sent back to Germany, and most of them got sent to the concentration camps and were murdered. He also asked, where are the reparations for African Americans? The refugees that America has turned away from Central and South America, the Palestinians, the Native Americans. The U.S. government's okay with placing stress on Swiss banks for compensation, but Yet Jews also sent their money to U.S. banks. Why hasn't the U.S. government put stress on U.S. banks for paying that money out? And there was no campaign, no coordinated effort done by WJC or any other Jewish institution to get this the money out of these uh, American bank accounts, which I do think is pretty interesting, but not surprising. And so he just concludes with, that Holocaust education is mandatory in public schools, but like I mentioned earlier, that the genocide of the Congolese is, is not mentioned. I didn't learn about that until I was in college reading yeah, King Leopold. you Le- have to
3: seek that stuff out most of the time.
2: Yeah, I got it because I was in a history class, and then we read King Leopold's ghost. Ten million people died, were murdered like that's insane why well we know why it's not talked about and i like even now i just like tonight i just learned like you said 90 or 95 percent of native americans were murdered like that's fucked why that's just not taught
3: we learned that uh a lot of native americans died but they never put the number in
2: no never Because it's fucking bananas and awful and horrific.
3: And like reparations for African-Americans should they should definitely get that. Yeah. But uh, I literally cannot conceive of the amount of reparations that would need to be paid to even begin to uh, compensate a 90 percent elimination of a people. Like Uh, yeah. returning land is a start. Yeah. Like abolishing the government and creating a new one, also great. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Literally 90% of the people gone. Like, there's no way to do a reparations for that. It's no. that's just gone. Absolutely inconceivable amount of people just destroyed. There are languages that are gone. The Spanish eliminated entire records and the The U.S. and the Swiss and all of these banks make all of their, uh, not all of their money, but a lot of their money from holding onto these reparations for uh, essentially Holocaust organizations that were created after the 60s. Yeah. And actual survivors got very little or none of the actual reparations And similarly, there's there's no discussion of reparations for people from, as you mentioned, migrant groups who were thrown in the cages or people who immigrated here because of sanctions from like countries that are have been under sanction for years or decades like Cuba or North Korea or Venezuela or Iran because that is how the U.S. and Western Europe continue to accumulate capital and maintain our empires. Reparations for the Holocaust survivors, uh, as Norm put, maintains the uh, the entire facade that it's doing uh, what's morally good. Mm-hmm. But there's, there's no attempt to actually do what's morally good, and I think this is kind of a... Uh, limit to his work that he doesn't put in a uh, kind of material analysis to why a lot of things happen and that's that's where a lot of academic writers go
2: he used to be a maoist what i forgot to include that he used to be a maoist <laughs> <laughs> i was that's listening- why
3: he's so feisty
2: I was listening to a talk that he was giving, uh, some, I think it was Oxford or something, and he was talking about being a, it was a Maoist when he was getting his dissertation.
3: <laughs> damn.
2: He says he's a quote-unquote old-school communist now. For him. I'm not sure what that means, but maybe he was writing this for a larger audience and didn't want to put... Well we do it's published by Verso, which we know is a, an ML or MLM publisher. Would love it if he added a material analysis of it. Yeah.
3: Yeah. The not giving reparations is well, they'd have to give up a lot of money. Like I said, I can't even begin to comprehend the amount of money or land or just political control that would have to be given to certain groups, but it also have to be an admission that uh, the entire political and economic system is based on these things. Yeah. Because then the whole imperial system becomes undone. All of the anti-imperial decolonial movements were not as necess- were kind of based on giving land and political control back to the people but they were also based on recognizing the fact that these systems were operating on the core concept of removing land and food and security from the majority of the population to secure capital
0: yeah
2: so the last time we updated this was in 2015 going really heavily into detail about the swiss bank accounts and i it's a lot of numbers. I have number dyslexia. That's not a joke. I actually have it. Um, and my eyes start to glaze over because he really goes into detail about it. I think if we updated it today, I would talk about how ADL and these other organizations are fundraising off of these fascist, alt right, right wing groups. I'm just going to bring this up because it really pisses me off. In 2017, I was part of Glass Leadership Institution with ADL, partly because I wanted to get an insider perspective of ADL. And I'm glad I did because I learned a lot of fucked up shit about it. They had someone come in who's like the head of the ADL, I don't know what it is, like Terrorism Task Force or something like that. (laughs) I don't know what it's actually called. It was something about like hate, like maybe hate task force, something like that. And they had a list of like groups that they were keeping their eye on. And I had them in columns like right wing. Maybe it wasn't even right wing. It was probably like neo-Nazi, fascist and alt-right. Proud Boys weren't even included on alt right. And I was like, Excuse me, where are the Proud Boys? And they're like, Oh, they're not, they're nothing. They're, I don't, we don't even think they're alt right. They're just, they're nothing. Was it two weeks ago that the Proud Boys had their march on Washington? Their like Stop the Steel march where they were beating people in the streets. They had shirts that said, um, I think it was six. M-W-E, which means 6000000 million wasn't enough. These, fucks, I think so. Holy yeah, fuck. these fucks are out on the streets because ADL's like, well, they're nothing, blah, blah, blah. I was like, they're pretty fucking problematic, and I know they hate Jews. I knew this in 2017. Fucking ADL, day after uh, the Stop the Steal march and all of that, fundraising off of proud boys you're like we have to stop this hate we have to stop this please give us your money give us your money it's like i'm signed up to get their emails just so i can get angry whenever i get them whenever something like after the the pittsburgh shooting you know i got a bunch of emails from adl trying to raise money all of these jewish orgs come out of the woodworks for all this money And they always invoke the memory of the Holocaust. They're like, we never again. We can't let this happen. Give us your money. Give us your money. Yeah, when it comes to actually helping like working class Jews, Jews of color, even anti-Zionist Jews, they will like, they don't give a shit. They do not give one shit about you. It's all about Israel and keeping Israel safe and defeating anti-Zionism because they have equated anti-Zionism with anti-Semitism and they're pushing forward this idea that it's the same. Sorry, I'm done with my rant. (laughs) What else would you add?
3: (laughs) I'm gonna go off of that and I'm gonna say the words. Um, There's a whole, I can't believe I'm doing it. There's a whole culture culture industry. Fucking adorable. (laughs) (laughs) There's a whole culture industry set up around anti-Semitism and preventing the the quote unquote destruction of Israel, the quote unquote Jewish people. Because by this time in the podcast. We should all know that Jewish people don't include non-European, non-white Jews. And so, like, we have a lot of TV shows and movies and books and people coming on the news that are creating a media culture that is essentially made by the U.S. military. and. Their friend, codependent, uh, the Mossad. Yeah. So th- there's this new show that was originally made in Israel that now got bought by Apple TV, and I I think it's called Tehran, and it's about a Israeli woman spy who is in Tehran. And is attempting to prevent Iranian aggression against Israel.
1: Just... And
3: it is the most ridiculous shit I have seen in a while because it, it's the standard Hollywood like super spy James Bond shit.
2: Is it like Homeland, but for? It's like
3: Homeland. It's a, it's like that uh, that dude in the office, his spy show on Amazon. And how he's in Venezuela. It's like that, but in Tehran.
2: So blatant. It's so blatant what they're doing. So blatant. Like, please be creative.
3: (laughs) (laughs) But so, not only do we have this kind of creation of Israel as a super effective fighting force, which we have in the news all the time, it was publicized everywhere that Israel just assassinated one of Iran's nuclear physicists and of course no one ever mentions when uh, one of their guys or our guys gets killed yeah but it also creates a massive cultural understanding that Israel or the US and therefore the people in it are constantly under threat and we have this kind of in the the cultural Idea of nine eleven um, and the war on terror, where the U.S. is under threat of these like Middle Eastern dudes who are just plotting somewhere to blow us up somehow.
2: You could say there's a nine eleven industry.
3: There is. There's always <laughs> my, a nine eleven industry, an industry industry. I was watching Deadliest Warrior. God do
2: you remember that show? <laughs> yes.
3: <laughs> yeah. So this is actually relevant. I'm not <laughs> <laughs> and for people who don't know, it's this like mid-2000s show where a bunch of like super aggro dudes do some like, what would happen if Mao Zedong fought Stalin? <laughs> and... <laughs>
2: that's really i don't know i used to just watch like i would binge it
3: (laughs) it's on amazon now i think
2: don't tell me that
3: (laughs) you have to pay for each episode so
1: it's
2: oh yeah you could
3: also pirate it but so so they'll do like what would happen if Mao fought stalin and they'd they'd say, say like these are the types of weapons they had Mao was a ruthless killer who liked to starve their people. Stalin was super good at sending spies to assassinate foreign leaders. Just like super, super biased stuff. And I recently watched the Pol Pot versus Saddam Hussein episode.
2: Oh my god.
3: (laughs) And this was this was just like a couple years after we God. assassinated Saddam Hussein.
2: Did he wear glasses? No. Okay.
3: And the dude who played Saddam Hussein was the he was the fucking guy who kidnapped Tony Stark in Iron Man One and oh put him in God. that cave and made him build oh the Iron God. Man suit. Oh
2: my God. Oh, man.
3: Like, and in that episode, too, they had, what? like, uh, Saddam. Okay. <laughs> in that episode, <laughs> they they were listing the weapons, and they mentioned that all of Pol Pot's weapons were Soviet, and they just happened to mention that Saddam was using, like, a desert eagle. Absolutely no mention that that shit was American.
2: Yeah. <laughs>
3: And then the Iron Man villain won. Oh. But so, like, this actor, I looked him up and he had all of these roles as, like, aggressive Middle Eastern man, aggressive Pashtun man. And these were the literal acting roles. They weren't, like, how I'm phrasing it. They were his byline titles. And this is the Hollywood production culture. It's insane.
2: It's just propaganda. It's all propaganda. Like, even with the Holocaust movies that we have, it's like, to bring it back to Holocaust industry, (laughs) all of these movies that we have are just showcasing Jews as passive victims.
3: Remember The Pianist?
2: Yes, I do.
3: (laughs) It's like that.
2: However... I think when you ask most Jews what your favorite Holocaust movie is, they'll probably say "Inglorious Bastards." <laughs> that movie fucking rocks.
3: Yeah, that movie's great.
2: But I remember watching Schindler's List, and I'm pretty sure it ends with some mention of Israel as well. Does it? I don't know.
3: I don't I'm remember.
2: i None. Of, like I don't remember a single scene of resistance that movie, other fr- than from the Goy. Goy. It's a Goy Savior movie. Did you got anything else to add? No. Yeah.
1: No, I don't think so.
2: I think that about wraps everything up. I hope you're all staying safe. Hopefully I'll get vaccinated soon. Then, like, the next nine months, ten months. <laughs> but... I highly recommend getting this book if you can, checking out his other works, checking out American Radical, which is on YouTube for free. He, Norm, is like, is completely vindicated at the end of the day. He is someone that I really look up to for just standing by his principles, no matter how hard it got. So have a wonderful uh, winter break. I love you all. I'm glad you're all safe. Alive and we'll see you next time. Bye. See you in two months. (laughs) Bye.